Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is part two of the Make Your Film event, live, right into your eardrums. So, you've listened to part one, you know where we're at. Apologies for a little bit of rattling of mics and a bit of feedback. Nah, it's how it is. You still get some great information and facts and figures and fun and filmmaking tips and tricks. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you learn something from it. The next live event that myself and Dom Lenoir are doing is on March the 5th in London. Head on down to that if you like what you hear. Come on down, come and join us. Uh, we have got Matt and Tori Butler Hart from Fizz and Ginger Film, who I imagine will be talking about how they made Two Down and The Isle. And we have the producer of BAFTA nominated God's Own Country, Jack Tarling, who will be talking about that and his latest film, Await Further Instructions. Oh, come and join us. Why not? We've got we've got free beer. We've got some chocolate that is cheap as chips and vegan options as well. It's going to be a brilliant night. It's networking. That's what you should be doing. Head on down there and bring your business cards and make it a fun night. Finally, before we get to today's podcast, um, Rain Dance, the offer is the same as last week. It is basically their latest course about how you can turn your screenplay into a graphic novel or comic book. Basically, if your project could be adapted into that, this is the course for you. Even if it's not and you fancy that, this course is going to be fantastic. It's presented by graphic novel writer and comic book writer Tony Lee, who has worked on Doctor Who, Superboy, Spider-Man, X-Men, Battlestar Galactica. And it's Rain Dance's introduction to comic book and graphic novel script writing, uh, you can get 30% off with the exclusive Filmmakers Podcast code RDPodcast20. Link is in the show notes. All the links for everything I'm saying is in the show notes. Any of that, click the link and, yeah, do your thing. Buy it, enjoy it. I'll see you there. <laughs> and if you do enjoy this, remember you can get us on Spotify, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Podbean, and you can find us at our website, filmmakerspodcast.com, where you can get a whole host of back catalogue of many podcasts. But you can also find us on Nerdly, which is a brilliant website full of indie film information and the latest hot gossip about films that are going out there. And you can find us on the Britpod scene or the Podfix Network, where we're delighted to be hosted by where they have loads of really cool podcasts talking about filmmaking and some just really cool podcasts as well podfixnetwork.com so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy part two with myself dom lenoir matt hookings jenna suru adam morse and finn glynn plus some of the audience asked some questions as well, so there was a really cool Q&A at the end as well. Stick around and enjoy this week's part two of the Filmmakers Podcast. It's so hard to make a feature film. The fact that just to getting through one, suddenly you realise whether you want to do this or not. And most of us go, yeah, I do, but I don't want it like that. And then you do it like that again. Um, and you did that with your second one, right? Yeah, I did the same thing with the second one. That, you know, that one I shot partly in Sicily and Scotland um, because it kind of suited the story. Uh, it was a biopic. So it was, it was kind of, I was, at that point, I was realizing, okay, like, I do want to make features, but this is, this is just too much to do with two people. Um, so after that one, I was just kind of thinking, okay, this is just going on Amazon, DVD release. It's never going to go anywhere. 
I'm not able to hire the kind of people that, you know, or, or put the time into the production that it needs to be to be quality. So I kind of took a bit of time out after those two features and I thought, okay, I'm going to really try and smash out like a really high level short to show I can do something at a high production value level. So I went to, and I did a cancer drama, um, which is in Germany. So we packed a car full of people. We got an Ari Alexa on a massive deal. Um, we basically drove down 17 hours overnight down to Germany, um, shot for five days, didn't speak a word of German. Um, some of the locations we didn't have. So it was just an enormous risk. Um, but it, 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 you know, worked out very well. I did talk uh, about how you got the deal from Ari because that's quite interesting. So, uh, again, like people don't think you can shoot on a certain sort of level of camera because you don't have the budget. Uh, I just rung around different production houses and, and basically looked for someone that was willing to invest, you know, in me basically. Um, and I said, like, look, we don't have the money. Um, we got a couple of grand, uh, and we need like basically everything didn't tell them everything about where we were going to be sticking the camera like we had a jib in the middle of a river we took it up above the clouds <laughs> safety first <laughs> <clears throat> there's definitely a surreal moment watching like 100 grands of kit um Do you have insurance ski lift uh, yeah we had insurance okay. but probably wouldn't have covered that um yeah <laughs> literally like a ski lift flying off into the distance in front of you and hoping there wasn't someone at the other end to to collect it um but yeah, so we just drove down, um, you know, the crew were really amazing. I, I got them on board because, you know, if you can't pay people very good, you know, offer them something that's going to be really exciting. Um, so, you know, I offered them a trip to some absolutely stunning locations, shot on a really cool camera. Uh, it's basically like a, you know, a film holiday. Uh, Abigail's in the audience somewhere, who's one of our actors in that. There we are, Abigail. Um, so she, she braved that, that endurance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was just, uh, I wanted to make, you know, a story that was meaningful. Uh, it was a powerful drama. Um, it was inspired by Once Upon a Time in America. So I wasn't aiming small. It was kind of like a, a split time thing. So I had to go with the, you know, period costumes, try and pack those all into like a tiny car it was, uh, you know, literally like the actors had props up to their, up to their ears, basically. And so that, that was the goal. And, and I, you know, I, I, my features, my earlier ones, I'd got helicopter footage because, again, like I wanted to... When I make a film, I want to make a Hollywood film. Whether I succeed or not is an, another matter. And whether but, you have four grand or not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, going to do Hollywood style. So, so I managed to find... Um, you know, I got a paddle steamer in the UK that, were, that helped us out for free. I got some helicopter footage of another one in um, the Swiss mountains and some more footage. So it kind of all... You know, the, the journey became like an, the epic journey that it needed to be... Uh, told. So um, it was you basically asking for favours, begging, borrowing, stealing, yeah, to a degree, stuff in water you shouldn't have done, yeah, but whatever you could to make your short. We don't come down that yeah. by the way, um, but you did it. You actually got to make a short that was worth it. Right? Yeah, and yeah. I think I think the key is like you've you've either got to pay people well or you've got to make something that either they believe in you or they believe in the story or they, they realize it's going to be something really, really epic for their showreel. Not like, oh, it will be showreel material. Like, it has to be really fucking good showreel material. And it's the third time that's come up, actually, about uh, they invest in you and the people who are working with you invest mm. in you. Everyone said it so far. They want to work with you because you're you. It doesn't really matter about the story, even though it does. It doesn't matter about what you've got. It's you. They want to work with you because mm. you're spending a lot of time with these people. So, so I moved on from that. Um, then I, uh, I'd done a short, another short with Abigail and also Victor, who's in the audience somewhere. 
um, which was a, a very interesting uh, experience. Um, what totally different from the last one in terms of? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't my film. I was just. Um, I mean, this is this is where sometimes you just help out, uh, and you've got to put ego aside. And you, I was just a camera op on that. I directed stuff before, but I met these two, which was was really cool. And I met a really cool guy called Andre Govia, um, who does loads of derelict photography. Uh, he's also a DOP and a gaffer. And he was showing me around um, locations for my next project, which is how I met Matt. Uh, and Matt was living in one of the Camelot properties, um, which I was looking at as a potential location. And it just so happened at that time that he'd written his first short film, which was a film noir. And having just done a big sort of sprawling epic in, in Germany, um, that was kind of really interesting to me because I'm not really someone who goes for one location uh, contained films. But the writing was so good that it couldn't be turned down, and it was something very different to sort of add to my add to my showreel. Um, so I was very interested in working with Matt, and Matt kind of had the same kind of very very high aspirations in kind of um, you know what kind of films he wanted to put out, and that's how I ended up directing Shoe Polish, which was yeah Matt's first film. Amazing, and that led on to Winter Ridge itself, the big feature. Uh, yes and no, and <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell the story because it's funny. Um, okay. So we actually both disappeared off in our own directions for four years. I wrote a bunch of features that I was planning to get made. Um, Matt had Prize Fighter, which is his big boxing epic uh, in the pipeline. And um, basically, uh, yeah, we disappeared away, away from each other's radars for a while. And I just saw um, that he needed some, literally some like runners, production assistants, assistant producers, uh, extras um, for his film. And instead of thinking, okay, I've, I've shot two features, I've, I've done shorts, I'm not going to do this. I was just like, okay, I, I will just help out because it seems like a cool project. Um, and, you know, he needs the help and you should always try and help out on films when, when it's a, a good, ambitious project. So I did help out. I was literally like, uh, I was a peasant, I think. I was a driver. I was a little bit more than a driver, but I was mostly what a driver. What do you mean? What, you, you drove really fast? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah, more, yeah, always, yeah. Right, I respect that so much. That is brilliant. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so I just... Done met, 300 Lord of the Rings epics. And he's a, he gets to be a driver, runner, yeah. after directing these but, big skits. But, that's, that's but then... But, the, <laughs> but I like that. I told it. But that's how I, I got it made. That's how I got Winter Ridge. So you know, I, I chatted to the crew, but obviously like, I wasn't just chatting as a runner and a, a, an extra. You're going. I, I'm not just a driver. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my showreel. Yeah. You can watch some of my features. No, don't watch them. Don't watch <laughs> the features. <laughs> but that's pretty impressive. The yeah. fact that you were going. Do you know what? Sod it. I, I'm going to go help out because that's what we should do. We should all do that as filmmakers. Yeah. Help out our mates because yeah. it has led to Winter Ridge, right? Yeah. I mean, it so, has. So, so off, off the back of that. Um, you know, the director's changed for Prize Fighter, um, and you know, everything, a lot was in place for Prize Fighter, but being like a you know four or five million pound film, um, he hadn't done a feature that was like a you know middle ground. Uh, I was looking to step up, and I was fed up with doing shorts. Uh, so it just kind of the timing came together. Um, I'd met someone on a Virgin Media like pantomime short four years before who had a script set in America. We just decided, okay, I took that to Matt. We made it into a UK production. <laughs> And that's how Winter Ridge got made. It just, everything kind of aligned through some very random uh, connections. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, now you've not only produced and starred in Winter Ridge, but you produced uh, I Love My Mum as well. How did you get it together, you guys? How did you raise the money? How did you get it all sorted out? What did you do? Uh, well, I, th- I think, you know, just going back to what Dom did on the, on the short promo for Prizefire, um, 
it, it was really interesting because that kind of you know rejigged our relationship in a, in, a, in a in an interesting way and seeing him you know going from a director to you know being a runner and, and doing different things was quite it was quite admirable in a way in the sense of you know I was like okay he's, he's just driven and passionate you know and he was a bit more clever than that he was linked we had like a you know a, a 50 crew that were all sort of Hollywood standard and he was lingering around at the right moments and you know building his own contacts which was great because I think you should do that anyway yeah so he brought me Winter Ridge and and like he just said it, it was very fitting uh, built up this um, these investors for a couple of years that you know I think I would echo what everyone said about, you know, if, if you get people behind you that believe in you, the product comes second. And I think the product is always important and, you know, business side. But if you can show people how passionate you are and driven, then they know or they believe that, that, that you won't stop until you do the best you possibly can. So I've done that for a couple of years. Everyone says this and, you know, I don't come from a, you know, hugely wealthy background or anything. Everyone in this room, even if you don't think and you leave, you'll say, no, I don't. Everyone knows someone who knows someone with access to money or funds. Even if you think you don't, you do. You just look through your phone. You think, oh, maybe this person knows someone or someone. In. Yeah, I mean, by degrees of separation, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's 600. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a trail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you'll find yourself writing lists of people you think that might or, or might not have money <laughs> when they don't even know you're doing that. Um, so that's a really interesting thing to to take on board. And then yeah, so Dom, so back to that. So Dom came to me at Winter Ridge um, and and you know said I think this is really interesting and and you know great for you to play play the part as well. And we rejigged it to the UK because it was set in Canada and. Yeah, we started packaging it and, and putting it together as, as 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 a feature film, and and you know. Well, did you start getting cast first? Did you start getting crew? Um, How did you do it? We we started with like line producers and, and getting a, a various sort of uh, idea of how much we could do this for. And the budgets always change; they go up, they go down, they, they go back up, they go back down. Um, yeah, you end up kind of doing about four different budgets. You've got your low one, your middle one, your high oh, yeah, one, and then your yeah. stupid one as well, don't you? Yeah, you, I, I mean, you just seem to do that. It yeah. just—I don't know why. Someone will come along board and say, "Right, let's make this for five mil, ten mil," and you go, "All right, great, let's do a budget for it." It's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, it might, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's so you end up doing quite a few. So I, you've I think, done that. I, I think I've edited three finance plans today, which. Are, different now in terms of so yeah it just constantly changes yeah and then we started looking out to cast and, and you know we, we went to our media kind of people that we knew um, yeah i mean i mean we kind of built the whole crew and cast um well before we even tried for finance um so like you know a lot of matt's connections and uh, with crew and a lot of you know my connections and cast uh, we'd worked with michael mckell um on shoe polish who's an actor and so through him uh, we cast had a waddingham from game of thrones because um, they'd wanted to work together. And then through that connection um, and a lot of me and Matt pestering the agent, we also got Alan Ford uh, from Snatch on board. So it's kind of like we built the cast up. And at this from... point, you hadn't got any money? Uh, no. Great. Cool. Very Again, little. I like well, very, very little. Yeah. 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 So how did you then... Now was it easier to get the money because you had the cast in place? Well, I think, again, you know, we, we'd had a group of investors that we knew we were going to approach... Is this from just years of speaking to them about other projects? Yeah, just so long, so long of just... And, and you end up with, honestly, you'll end up with two or three people that will believe in you, that have money and willing to invest. You meet so many people. And you meet a lot of people who are just jokers, right? A lot oh, of yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, lots of people that 
they, you know, they think the, the film industry is like sexy, you know, so they want to <laughs> invest for that reason or they want to meet you because you've been in a film or something. Over time, you realize quite quickly who is, who you're in the room with, who's, who's serious about investing, the reasons why. And, you know, it's, it's not always for money. Some people are there. The first ever investor I got was on a phone call, lived in Scotland, never met him. And he was interested in going to the screening and, and flying out to New York because we picked up a couple of awards. It, it was nothing about his money coming back. Um, it was a small amount of money. So um, so we went back to the investors then and you know, we had a package. We had a script. We had some cast interests. Um, we basically had the locations as well and we had sales estimates. Had the locations, yeah. And How did you get the sales estimates? Kind of, kind of through the investors in a way because they, they had an interest in a, in a sales company that they were going to invest in which turned out horrible um, because... <laughs> Were the sales estimates kind of um, guessed, made up? I mean, under their estimates. That's they that always one. are. They always are. They always yeah. are. Yeah. Of course. It's honestly... Because you I, don't know. No one knows. No one fucking knows. It's, it's, exactly. It's a bonkers aspect with the sales because yeah. I'm sitting here now and, and they are extremely important. But, you know, they, they come into your film at the very last minute. They... they the logos at the front of the of, of the of the film. They're the first people to get their money back. If if a film is good, it will find an audience. And every single successful director, producer, actor, you know, go from Spielberg to Christopher Nolan, they all started with a feature that had no cast, that had no money, that had no resources that they have now. So You've you've got to go through that process, um, and you've got to really churn through that process, and you've got to you've got to have that you know dual kind of die attitude, um, mm. which which you have to just go right. We're shooting this on, you know, April Fools, and, and, and on April first, and, 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 and it doesn't change, and we're going to find the money and, and raise the money. So we, you know, we we went we, we we didn't go at the perfect moment with the investors. We went at the right time where it was enough to get them their interest, and you know, talk about the actual amount of money that that we had so, so you go in a room with someone and you say right we got this person that person they all jump in we got this cast we got everyone's FOMO hmm? FOMO F- yeah for your missing out exactly mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. it's completely true um, and again it's the, it's the chicken and egg situation you just kind of have to commit to stuff when it's like maybe not 100% locked in but it's on the way and then everyone starts to do that and then you do have a few locked in and then you know you've no longer got a problem yeah. um, but I mean we, we had some you know can I, can I talk about the, the finance Please talk about the finance. Tell us. Yeah. Um, So basically, a a week and a half before shooting, um, we'd already been told by you know one of our one of our investors that we could start spending money. Um, We'd already (laughs) put down like (laughs) we'd already put down deposits on locations. You know the whole the whole crew and cast. um, You know basically a lot of money had had already been committed and and spent. And one of the investors pulled out, and we I remember we had like a, a week and a half. And a week and a half till you were shooting. A week and a half till we were shooting, and, and we didn't have enough. Out. Yeah, we didn't have enough money to shoot the whole film, or you know, we would have had to have done a, a drastic, um, you know, redo of the, sh- well, of the he, shoot. He was in for a chunk of money as well. Yeah. Bear, bear in mind, this is like on a Friday. It's me, Dom. Was it? Were you yeah. there? Dom. I don't know if Chris was there as well. Yeah. Our, our other investor and and this investor, and he, this guy is like looking at us in the eye, going, "Take my bank details now. The money will be in by Monday." Um, let's go let's go and, and he'd invested in previous films just so that there was that investor confidence before yeah. and we had him on a sort of uh, not not particularly concrete um, yeah. contract but we did have a contract and uh, yeah so I mean there was, there was a moment and that's the kind of moment where you've got that decision where like okay are we going to make this film happen despite literally needing miracle and how did you make it happen how did you raise the rest of the money to actually go shoot the film uh, so we, we had to go back 
we were very <laughs> sheepishly, very very, um, very cap in hand. Strategically went back to the the other investors and shout out to Chris because he's one of the investors as well at the back because um, he helped top Ooh. up. Um, we we he's went back. Phone, he's not looking. We we went back with a really. We've thought about this for ages. We went back. We went right. If we ask them for this much, they're going to say no. If we ask them for this little, we're not going to be able to do it. So we we literally went back with the most, the most random amount. It was like one hundred and five thousand and fifty quid or something like that. Mm. You know, it was so random. And we, to, and we found the shortfall ourselves yeah. as well. We, but we found like the absolute minimum that we could, you know, possibly get away with, and, and from other avenues. And then we went to them for the, the least we could get away with, basically. Yeah. So, so they, they, because they were already invested, not in the money side, but invested in, in the the product. Um, it, for them, it, you know, they, they, the three of them came together and said, "Well, yeah, we'll just top up, top up the remaining amount of money." Um, and it was a you know, horrible decision because we we need more money. Um, throughout lots of different avenues but did you have to cut corners because of that when shooting it well we had 17 days to shoot um with over 25 locations loads of stunts that's eight pages a day Mm -hmm. um in the middle of like you know devon basically so that's quite a challenge um so that was like the main issue i think was was that it was i think it's more more so for the for the release Mm. and and, you know that that side yeah you know I, i would definitely encourage everyone to put in a marketing budget even if you don't tell anyone yeah because absolutely it's so important um it's vital because how is anyone going to see your film if you can't show them tell them about it you can't just do facebook posts yeah um, it, it, it's not enough you do have to try and put that in your budget if you can sometimes we're shooting for four grand like you say or 40 grand it's really hard to put it in there but if you can shoot for more then try and make sure that it's in there it's important so in terms of shooting it then now have you got any issues basically we didn't have any rehearsal time like at all um so like it comprised of a few emails uh like i did like two or three days with matt like going through the script so basically like we'd have to do like blocking at the start of the scene uh while it was being like lit and whilst we did adjustments then we'd be like reworking the script in that kind of half an hour or an hour and that was our rehearsal period. So it was like, there was just no, no time to, you know, and because of the schedule, we had like, I think three takes maximum on, on most of the coverage, um, which again is quite a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but Winterwich is available now. People can go see it, right? Yes. Yes, they can. Superb. Go see it if you haven't already. I, I've seen or, it in the cinema and I highly recommend it. I agree. It's very good. Seen it. It's brilliant film. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant film. Uh, Matt, let's talk uh, quickly about Price Fighter. It's a much bigger budget. How are you, how are you going about that to raise that finance? Uh, I mean, I don't know whether it's in between what two of these guys said, but I would, you know, the next thing is I'm going to do every every single thing different. I don't, I don't, I think that's that is a massive learning curve doing Winter Ridge, and it's I think everyone should go through that experience of making their first feature, um, but you learn from it. So you know everything everything going into the next feature in my in my eyes and mind is 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 different. Um, you know the different stages that finance gets raised because it's more. The, the level of cast and crew, um, you know, goes up higher. So it's it's tricky, um, and you know we've got we've got a slate of stuff at the moment that you know all considerably higher budgets. But Price Fire is um, it's it's been brewing for 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 a little while now, and it's something that I started writing three years ago about a true story about a period uh, drama boxer from the 1700s. Um, you know, and, and like these guys mentioned about research. Did a, have watched 146 boxing films um, from 1927 till now, 
just to, just to, just to get my mind just set. to steal some ideas yeah 100 percent everything everything no 100 percent i mean you know everyone thinks you know everyone knows rocky um if you if you if you if you're a fan of paul newman go and watch somebody up there likes me which came out in 1956 uh, the, the character that paul newman plays is called rocky and he talks like it's a complete ripoff you know he Sylvester Stallone has gone. That looks good, and let's but let's merge into what I'm going to do and make make it you absolutely know. get your inspiration from wherever you can. A screen, yeah, and, and totally. And I think um, the, you know the research element that has been so strong, the 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 the, the sort of connection to the story um, is strong. So it's it's trying to do everything right, but you know things change, and you know you go through different variations with the script and story and development. But because this has been building for a while, I think that. You know, Winter Ridge has really helped prove the point and show what you can do for a very, very small amount of money. Um, so you get you get bigger confidence. But you know, it's just it's just kind of bigger problems, I suppose. Um, and, and getting the right sales agent and distribution is incredibly important, especially when quite a lot of them, you know, are useless. If I'm honest, and you know, you, you do have to do a lot of you do have to do a lot of marketing yourself. Um, like we put on the cinema run ourselves for, for Winter Ridge. Um, you know, we had a couple of people in the office. We just were basically ringing up cinemas saying, can you put this on this date? Um, we got 25 screens in the end. And it was like we had zero budget to do that. We just sort of made it happen. That's incredible. Fair play to you. I mean, that's, if, if there's nothing else that says you can't put your film in the cinemas, it's that you ring around and you go, can you show my film? And eventually someone will show it. Well, we had to get rid of two sales agents because they said that. It, uh, it wasn't theatrical and you know it, it's a small film so on, on paper it doesn't it doesn't look like it's theatrical but we we kind of went well wait there let's let's build a relationship with the cinemas ourselves um and forget all this posters on buses and stuff now that's costing five thousand yeah quid. do it you know social media marketing through targeted areas that you're shooting or you're showing your film sorry you know, we had one in Yeovil, which I don't know if anyone's heard of Yeovil. I didn't before. before that. <laughs> and that was our biggest screening. And, no offence to anyone from Yeovil. No, no offence, but it's a tiny town in, 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 you know, and not close to where we shot. But we went on Facebook, which, you know, I hate using now, but you go on Facebook and there's like 50 groups of Yeovil and there's 100,000 people on each group. And you think, you know, you only need t- like 50 of these people to turn up. And we sold 130 tickets, which the, the only film that sold more was Mamma Mia!, um, and that was because you get to the point where you kind, you kind of start messaging people that you don't know and say, hey, do you want to see my film? Here's a link. And they're like, who the hell are you? And another, another just example of like how you can cross market, like we just literally rang up the BBC um, and got the BBC to do like a live evening news coverage of that event in Yeovil. And this woman turned up like five minutes afterwards, yeah, in a cab, and she was just like, "I just heard on the radio, I've just driven here in a cab, like to come and see your film." Like that film was like forty-five minutes into it, so yeah. it was just. But that's amazing. It shows what we can do, especially regional stuff as well. They, they're, they're calling out for stories and newspaper reports and anything like that. So let's give it up for these boys for getting their film out there. Twenty-five screens. Congratulations. Amazing. Really good. Right. And let's get to Finn because uh, I'm conscious well, of time. Least, yeah. um, so Finn has not only made some uh, studio films as well as well, some big films himself. Uh, he started. He made Underdogs. He made That Good Night. He made A Mad to Be Normal, which starred Elizabeth Moss and David Tennant. You, Me, and Him, which was Daisy Aitken's films, which again starred David Tennant and Lucy Punch. This weekend will change your life. Uh, and in post at the moment, he's waiting for Anya. 
uh, starring Angelica Houston and End of Term, which is directed by Mark Murphy, which is a horror film. Interesting. All right, so Finn, uh, how did you start about trying to make films then in the first place? How did it come about for you and start to make some nice big movies? So I was working in an, Ox- uh, in an office in Oxford uh, doing inventories on houses, you know, six knives, ten forks, paints in good condition, that sort of shit. Wow. And it allowed me to basically drink with my friends whenever I wanted. Um, and the person who I shared an office with had this film come in and promptly had a heart attack. And essentially left the office with the phone ringing every day from this company in Argentina who was saying, you've committed to helping us make the English language version of this movie. Uh, what the fuck's going on? So um, the guy from hospital basically directed me as to what I needed to do. So the first film I did, which was this, this, uh, this big animation, was the job was essentially to cast it and raise enough money to do the UK post deal. So right. since then, uh, sort of moving on to the first feature I did, which was Mad to be Normal, uh, the only experience I really had was raising money and casting. So it's, it was quite an interesting way then going on to set because, you know, my first day of actually shooting a movie, I was sort of on a level with the runners, you know, in terms of what I actually sure. knew. And I was at the sharp end. So that was, that was you know, a sort of a huge learning curve. Um, but, yeah, so in terms of the way that that came together, it was, it was exactly what you guys say. I mean, that film had been in development for 17 years, um, and I joined it. 17? 17. I joined it after 15. Um, and it was a case of trying to repackage it really and look at it from a sort of a, a fairly cynical perspective as to why it hasn't been going for sort of for that long. And I'm actually friends with uh, David Tennant's wife, Georgia. I've known her for donkey's years. Mm. And I actually offered her a role in it, thinking it'd be quite fun to work with my friend. And then she, she, we went for a cup of tea and she said, look, the script was on the kitchen table. David asked what it was. Uh, it's about Artie Lang. He's always wanted to play Artie Lang. Would you mind if he read it? And so because we went about it in a very, very sort of different way as to what you'd expect, the, the calls that we had with David's agent weren't, the money needs to be an escrow. Um, you know, it was really a case of the next window he's going to have available is in 12 months, and you're going to have four weeks, and that's it. So, so if, you hit that, if you hit that deadline, then, then David's going to be in your movie. And the good thing about doing it that way was, first of all, we then suddenly had a, a big agency on our side. Yeah. Um, so we also were able to cast Michael Gambon and Elizabeth Moss, both from Independent, and then similarly we cast Gabriel Byrne because he was pally with Michael. But it was a case of whenever anyone would say, is there money that you can put down, would go, well, it's favoured nations with David, so we're not putting money down for anyone. So, right. so we were able to essentially, and on the 1st of December 2015, I guess it was, I sat in my car and I was told we were going to shoot it that day from the financiers, that's when it came together. On the 1st of January, we were in prep. On the 1st of February, we were shooting. On the 1st of March, we wrapped. So it was literally, I mean, it was that fast. Wow. Um, and then off the back of that, we sort of just kept rolling with it. We did uh, We did a few movies. End of term, I, I mean, I cast that. I didn't do much else on that. But you okay. know, associate producer. And then you, me, and him was, I guess, November of that year we filmed that. So it was really a case of trying to keep the momentum going. And since then, we've done, so we do sort of two films a year now, is what, I, what we're averaging. So we're sort of, and they are slightly getting you know, bigger in budgets. But we looked at those two and we sort of thought, well, they, they're, very, um, they're very native, they're very British. So it, it, sort of at the end of 2016, we decided to start being a bit more cynical as to how we put things together. And I think that I sales agents, craft little fuckers, I know. But um, I mean, the, the thing is, if you, if you sit in enough rooms with people, they'll tell you what they want to buy. And you, you sit with enough sales agents, you sit with enough distributors, you sit with enough financiers, and you actually listen to them and you don't just project what you want to make onto them. Mm. They'll tell you exactly what, what they want to buy. And then you, you, you fuck off to your back cave and you make that and you come back and then they go, oh yeah, we want to buy that. And so we've been quite cynical in, 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 in sort of doing that since. So we're, we're you know, optioning novels and in the meantime, we're, we're also sort of a PSA, a production services company mm-hmm. who, you know, 
get to get to work on other people's movies. Which is great. And during that time when you had that cast involved, how were you raising the fans? Were you going to the BFI? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, everywhere. I mean, at one everywhere, stage yeah. we were going to film it. It's set in London yep. with a week in Glasgow, and I think we were going to film it in Cologne and Dublin. Um, right. I mean, that, that was the wildest it got at one point was, was you know, we were literally going to fly between the two. Um, but ultimately, we, we just tried every single in- investor that was anywhere, anywhere near, you know, an email. So, so yeah, we just blasted and blasted and blasted. Similar to Matt, or was, were you going sort of higher levels? Were you looking at... No, some, we went everywhere. I you mean, went I just think, everywhere. I mean, I, I think I, I had meetings in Sony and E1, and mm-hmm. I had meetings with, you know, uh, absolute chances. You know. Was that was that? Did you have a background in that? Did you know them? Or was it cold calling? Was it through Georgia and having David? No, on no, board? no. It wasn't. I mean, it was. I mean, Georgia wasn't involved in Mad to be normal beyond that. I mean, she was actually pregnant, so she didn't end up doing the movie herself. Right. Um, but so, how, how did we do? It was just cold calling. I mean, the thing is, I've done sales in the past, and I was awful at it. But I think the moment you realize that you're selling yourself or something that, that, that you believe in you genuinely, care about, yeah. it's so much easier. You, I mean, cold calling is absolutely fearful when you're trying to sell advertising space in the local gazette. But the moment that you're selling a movie that you're producing, it's pretty easy. You just trick them. Yeah. You make them think they already know you. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I, you, yeah, know, yeah. you just say, hey, it's Matt from Camelot Films. Uh, yeah. Can you put... Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You just... They, they, you trick them so they... They, they know you already. Do you realize what works and what doesn't work? Realize this email sort of is, is just not getting any, any mileage, so you stop sending that sort of email and you try a different one. I mean, the problem we had with Mad to be Normal was it had been around for 17 years. Everyone had said no. I mean, everyone had said no. And they've, they, they go, have you rewritten it? We go, no. But we got a new actor. And they go, well, that's interesting, but also no. And then I think, I, uh, and then I think that like on the first day of production, we got an email from three sales agents that I would have, you know, killed to be working with on the first day and they went it's amazing you've got this production going can we sell it like, no i mean we had to use we had to use a different sales agent to get into production why are you saying this now and the response i got from all three was well we didn't think you were going to make it <laughs> yeah well no but it's i mean it's true it's been going around for 17 years uh, you know yeah and that's the issue when you're trying to get something off the ground is people totally. don't necessarily believe in it if you haven't got the track record and then as soon as it does well you get loads of people knocking on your door like saying yeah we want to sell your film or we want to distribute it and you're like well where were you when we were trying, yeah. to, trying to get out in the first place yeah well they're not interested then it's all but, about yeah once but, but, you've made but, one it does get easier but I mean you know that, that, that mentality um, has to be kicked you know to the tall grass as fast as possible if someone phones you up and says oh, you know we want to be selling this we didn't think you were going to make it you go well this is now gone by the way this is my next movie <laughs> so do you want to have a look at that yeah and, 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 it's, and it's really just sort of Gritting your teeth and smiling at everyone when they say no to you repeatedly. Absolutely. What do you look for in projects then? How, like you say, you're, you're looking at novels. Are you accepting scripts? Well, it, it, How does it work? I think we're, we're sort of changing structure as, an, as, as a company now. We've taken on a development exec who reads the scripts. If, if they're just sort of sent to us, he reads them. Uh, but by and large, we like to do what we want to do. So we'll read a novel or we'll read a shit ton of novels and we'll work out the ones that we quite like. But also, it, going back to that word, you know, sort of cynical, we'll read a novel and we'll go, this is set in a cheap country. It's got an American guy in it. It's got an English guy in it. This is going to be quite easy to package. And you look at it and you go, well, I can actually see this movie going, not because it's a great story, but because the whole sort of all of the elements are there. So, so for us at the moment, it's really all of those things sort of married in together. And then it's really about finding the right talent. And, and co-pros are like increasingly, like you've mentioned quite a few now, like it's, it's a very easier way to get your film made these mm. days is to split it across different tax shelters, different countries, get different grants from different places. And, and, and now EIS is going to be so much harder to, to sort of get your hands on. I think co-productions are going to be much more in vogue because with EIS you couldn't do an official co-production. And now you can. So, you know, there, there are lots of little sort of incentives. If you look at Manitoba, you can get like 39%, but if you're not using EIS, you do official treaty, it's 43%. And, it, you know, it's, it's mix and match. Um, so I think that, yeah, co-production is a huge, 
Um, and, and also, there's a big, we were told once that there's a big difference between a TV comedy and a film comedy, the same thing, and the difference is the characters go abroad. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the one thing in between is they go abroad. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 if you look at all of them, that, and, uh, what was the one that they drew with the two women who drink too much alcohol? Abfab? Abfab. They, they go abroad, right? So, like, that's and it, just and it, adds it adds immediate production value, yeah. uh, and it adds an international audience as well. So it makes everything easier just by going abroad, and sometimes you save money because it's cheaper to shoot there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you worked with the BFI? Have you worked with... Never. Never, never. never had any regional funding. Never? No, no, on the first one they said it was... It was uh, 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 not a big fan. Uh, on the first one they said it wasn't dramatic enough, which we understood, but also I can I can see them coming into the same position of saying, you know, we, we've been pitched this thing for 17 years or however many years. Why are we going to do it now with this yeah. guy I've never heard of? And so, so, so there was that. And then we went back. We've got a, a Graham Greene novel that we're adapting. And it's been adapted by a writer called William Boyd, who's incredibly well known. Uh, and the director at the time, who I can't mention, was... Uh, What's the ca- novel? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the Captain and the Enemy. It's the oh, last one he ever wrote. Oh, wow. and, and the director was, that was attached at that time... Uh, was an Academy Award winning director and we took it to the BFI and we thought well it's really dramatic it's got all of the things that you want in it and they went yeah but you don't need us do you and you go well, well I mean why not and they go well we don't make 10 million dollar plus movies and then you I mean I quite passively aggressively sent them a list of 10 movies they've made in the last year that were over 10 million dollars and so, for you good, and, good. And, um, so, but so now they definitely won't work with me it's, it's just, they're just not they're not helpful like a lot, a lot of the funding bodies just aren't helpful for filmmakers that have got the passion they've got the good stories they've got everything that they need to go and make a film they're just not there to support new talent and it's really disappointing it's a very closed door but that doesn't mean you can't try and it's definitely worth applying well, 100%, to hundred percent. I mean because it'll take you be aware. three hours to do an application and well, if you're good at them yeah <laughs> well, you are. But, we, but we would still do it for every film even, right. even if, it, if, if you think it's not going to tick any boxes you don't know who's going to read it mm. And yeah. it's, just, it's just application. So this is interesting. Even with a great cast like that, and even with a great project, they were still saying, no, we're not interested. I mean, I know better projects with better directors and high-profile cast that they still say no to. Um, right. It's, it's it, you know, who knows? Yeah, okay, so yours is, is all private equity then, in that case? Well, no, so on Mad to Be Normal, it was a lot of facility deals, studio time, uh, post-facilities. Um, there was a modicum of pre-sales and then it was p- private equity. Okay. On You, Me and Him, it was almost... And tax credits, obviously. And then You, Me and Him, it was tax credits and private equity and, again, some facility deals. I think last year we did two movies and they were back-to-back. We did we did one for a million dollars in a field in Oxfordshire and then we flew down to the Pyrenees and we shot a $10 million movie. And the same discipline across both movies. But I think the, the $10 million one was that was the first time that we had substantial pre-sales, um, right. which was a new experience. Yeah, because there's, there's some sort of money up front. I mean, that's yeah. quite incredible. And then at the back end there, then do you have to go... Obviously, now you're saying these are our sales agents. And was there any reluctance from them to then push through with it? Was there anything that became then difficult? On which films were they? Any of them with the pre-sales? I mean, pre, no, pre-sales are dandy. Because, I mean, you've got, you've got essentially what is a proof of concept, right? Yeah. So, so even if... The, on our film, there was a decent number of pre-sales. But even if you've got a small film and you can only get 5 to 10% of pre-sales, it's proof of concept, which means that the other money is more sort of confident in the numbers that are being put together by the, by the sales agents. And you're right, they're sort of pulled out the scenario to a point. But a lot of these sales agents, they, they don't talk about it publicly, but they've got a bunch of output deals. You know, I'd be astonished if you took a film to a sales agent and they couldn't sell airlines unless it was a horror movie. You know, that's 50 or 60 grand. Um, so, I mean, it, but it, yeah, yes. airlines, China, Hong, China. you know, um, but, but but ultimately put that stuff together, and and actually, a it's part of your budget, and b it's proof of concept that it yeah. is going to sell a final market. Um, so I think that 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the pre-sales, that was the first for me. It was incredibly helpful. But you do, you do then get more gap against the estimates because the numbers are sort of backed up by something. Yeah, absolutely. After we did the first, after we did You, Me and Him and Mad to Be Normal, I sort of saved up my shekels and I just decided that for two or three weeks I was going to move to L.A., not move and live there like a knob. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, but to basically just doorstep all of the agencies. And actually, what was quite interesting is if you want to see CAA, WME, ICM, or Sony, or any of these guys, if you actually you email someone that you would never see in Cannes because they're too busy buying things, you, you email them and you say, look, I'm in LA for three weeks. And you just doorstop them and you keep emailing. They will actually take your meeting. Yeah, because- that's the difference between LA and here is you, you, the, the door will always be open in LA. Um, yeah. Especially first time, you know, as long as you know who you're talking to and stuff. Uh, yeah, and again, then it's about you being the right personality because well, it doesn't mean they're going to want to take your project, but no. at least you're through the door. But they'll, they'll hear you out. Have right? everything it's ready. It's much more accessible yeah. than here. Yeah. It's, just, it's just the mindset is a, is a lot more positive and open to kind of people doing ambitious stuff in America, whereas in England it's kind of like, well, we haven't done that before, so maybe, yeah. we, maybe we shouldn't do that. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. very it's, it's much more of a business that here it's like still a hobby. The first time I went out, I wanted to meet Netflix. And we'd had a film or two on Netflix at this point, and I couldn't get a meeting with Netflix because everyone just guards it, you know. Um, and I think the first meeting I had was with a manager, and he said, who do you want to meet whilst you're out here? I said, Netflix. By the time I was in my car, I had an introduction to someone. I mean, that's it's, it, because they know it's going to collect, that, that collaboration is ultimately going to benefit them because if my film is going to be paid for by Netflix, I'm going to cast one of their guys or whatever it is. That's amazing. That's really cool. Um, should we open up to the floor and get some questions? We, we don't have any roaming mics. So you put your hand up if you've got a question. Go at the back. Shoot. So how did you get the cold calls? Yeah, nobody likes and um, is, is never a good route. It's always better, obviously, to have an in. And that's why it's important to be social. It's such a social business. It's based on people and relationships, which is why I say go to Cannes. If, you're, if you have no excuse not to be there this year, no excuse. You will, you will come away with new friends and potential business contacts. That's a guarantee. We met in Me and Matt met in uh, No, it was on a yacht. Yeah. Outside the toilet waiting for a piss. Yeah. For Matt, it was in a toilet. We went to the toilet together. But that does show you that it is about... The fact that you guys have come here tonight is already another step towards making your film or your next one because you're going to meet someone tonight. That's what it's about. You're going to go home hopefully inspired and go, okay, I can do it. I'll do something tomorrow. And do it. Do it every day. Don't always just assume that the the natural routes for getting your film made are are the right way. Always think like laterally and and like in parallels. Just meet people in different... You know, meet composers, meet, um, you know makeup artists meet, meet costume designers meet anyone because those people might be the ones that introduce you to a producer or you know you might they might you know work on a really high level film and well, look at Adam's an story the fact that you made the actor and that actor exactly. said yeah I know someone with some money I, I think if you, if you want to look if you want to look at Cannes and, and look at all the markets it's the only place for two weeks of the whole year where every single person Correct. that you need to meet in the industry is in your industry. So why yeah. would you never not be there? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be expensive. I know it sounds expensive, Berlin or Cannes or something. Yeah, staying on TV. You can get an easy jet flight for 150 quid. Yeah. You know, you can sofa sur- uh, surf, sofas, couch, hop, whatever, or you just paratroop in like a boss and just see what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Go on, go on. There's another question. If you think um, streaming services like Netflix or Amazon thing are changing the type of 
films that are going to get made or get greenlit or get financed, it does seem to indicate that they're having influence on the type of television that's being made. I was just wondering if you think there's a similar uh, or different effect with yeah, thrillers are massive at the moment. Um, maybe you'll know more, Finn, about this situation. But from what I've heard, the moment you've got a great thriller, everyone's watching them. Huge at the moment. I, I, I think that market's going to democratise quite a bit with, with Sony and Universal and uh, Disney owning their own platforms and withdrawing all of their movies slowly from, from the Netflix platform itself. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that they are changing the way. I, th- I remember a few years ago being a can when Netflix bought Beasts of No Nation. And it was, I think it was the first film they bought that was going to be exclusively Netflix. And I remember all of the filmmakers in and around a similar level went, finally, it's our time. And then as quick as that happened, it was kicked into the tall grass because they weren't making movies like that. That was just the first movie they were going to take. Beast and Donation had an interesting story because they got offered a bigger deal on, on a different level. But Netflix guaranteed that more people would watch the film. So it was a smaller deal. Um, so it just yeah, it, I think it's absolutely completely changing. Um, I think it's stepping up everyone's everyone's um, level. I mean, you just got to look at the TV side. You know, TV is is become you know probably stronger than film in the last couple of years. Um, and it's it's a very it's a very good um, like route in if you're looking for actually like first time filmmakers or, or people that have a, like a very distinctive vision because Netflix for instance sometimes they do endorse people and they give them like a, a very big budget they don't interfere very much. And it's those unusual projects that actually get made through those channels. So, and it's not as cast specific. Exactly, it's not cast specific. So, like that, if you've got like a dream project that's you know you know is really good, but you can't get the sales on it, mm-hmm. Netflix is a great way to build your way into the, you know the, the industry. Stranger Things is a perfect example of that. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad. Well, I think always look for new platforms. Like Netflix now are incredibly hard to get in with because they've stopped kind of looking for content because they're they're creating their own content, and there's lots of other platforms that emerge in like. Uh, with Apple and, and Google and Disney um, and there's others out there as well um, you know there's Hulu there's, there's a bunch of different platforms that you know that, that are emerging as well and there's also self-distribution as well which you, which is a totally another topic we'll talk about in another make your film event but you can release it yourself and you can make money yourself yeah Will go for it um, thank you very much really fascinating uh, how important is it to make money on that first feature or at least pay your investors back I know it's not about making money but in order to like make a second like how well do you need to do I think the key is like um, firstly like depends what your budget is like for us we kept the budget ridiculously low for like you know the, the genre of film um, like I'm not, not going to go into exactly what our budget was but it go was go on it tell was, us I can't okay. Um, it it was under half a mil but it was yeah for for the kind of you know budget that we were doing uh, we kept the the risk very very low and our basically our investors were only at risk something like 18 pence on the pound 21 Um, 21 pence on the pound yeah Um, so like in in terms of what they could lose there's very little at stake for them so keep your keep your risk as low as possible get post deals get co-pros get tax credits SCIS all of that stuff, um, you know, on your first film and just actually succeed in making a film and getting it out there. And then, you know, you can always try and move it up on the next one or you go cast driven, I guess. Same. My personal take on it is um, if you don't make first uh, money back on your first film, it's okay as long as you learn from it on the next one. I mean, that if you, if you do two or three in a row that are bombing, stop, you know. <laughs> Or, 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 or but, but, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, you really do need to start looking at it and going, well, where did I go wrong in not making money? How do I do it differently? Will anybody invest in you the second time? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. all the different yeah. investors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you will get investors again. Yeah. Let's talk to someone who's worked in the distribution side. Jenna, what's your take on this? Yes, uh, just to echo back on what um, those folks said, uh, I think it also depends from which perspective you are. Like, for instance, if you're a producer, for sure, sales is important. For the director, I think something that's also extremely important is how you manage the budget. Because a producer would allocate a budget, which means if you accomplished your first feature, first, it means you managed to get it until the end, which is already first a first good thing. Amazing. Huge. Uh, next question, please. Yes, lovely lady there. Uh, Jenna? Yes. When you approach investors for yourself, um, did you, was it just the script you sent or just, or you did a sort of trailer, something to show your vision? Oh, that's interesting. Actually, yes. Uh, on top of um, the preparation thing, we actually also did a test shoot. It was not a short film. Um, some filmmakers accomplish a short film, which I think can be really useful. It really was a test shoot to test part of the cast, crew, the material, and some of the locations. So um, that was actually really useful. Because in those things that we could do differently, there, there were some locations, for instance, that I thought would look extremely well on camera, extremely good, but didn't turn out to really match the concept. And some that looked incredible uh, that we used and exploited in the feature. So, yeah, a lot of uh, assets to show to investors, for sure. And you sent them, you sent the investor this, this material? Yes, absolutely. Because I think it's important because it shows your vision, it shows you're committed. Uh, on top of also what you've accomplished before, not necessarily on this concept, but also over shorts, over projects. I think it's extremely important for sure. Yeah, okay. So uh, Finn's got to go get his train. So let's give a massive round of applause for Finn. Thank you. Hero, thank you very much. How many more questions have we got? We've got a couple more questions. Maybe two more, then we get some beers and you guys need to network, get your business cards out, hand them out. Yeah, a lovely guy there in the purple jumper. Uh, in terms of the, the money that you raise from producing the film and distributing it, does that mostly come from the cinema kind of sales that you talk about, or is that from um, for our one, the cinema run wasn't like a massive profit-making machine. Uh, it was more just for the prestige and the kind of, you know, the assistance in marketing and sales that you get off having a cinema run, which is, um, you know, very helpful. And I would say, like, it, it is a lot easier to get your, you know, your film into cinemas than you think, uh, even if it's like 5 or 10 or 25. Uh, that will help attract sales agents. Um, and, yeah, VOD, I think, for, for a lot of films is, is the way to earn money. There's, there's obviously different markets and different, lots of different countries in the world that, you know, release films on different in different ways, whether it's SVOD deals or, or, you know, broadcast or TV deals. So there's lots of different ways where people will, will buy your films. Uh, and when you see, you know, on IMDb or, or you see the box office gross of a film, that, that's, you know, that's what it's done at the cinema and it gets halved and halved and halved again. Um, but it doesn't show you what was done, you know, on the back end with a with Sky or or the BBC or you know a Romanian television company, so there's lots of different ways where films can generate um, income and revenue. C cinema is often for sort of bigger budget stuff, uh, making a lot of money. Absolutely, uh, a couple more. Any more hands up? Just two more. Perfect. Okay. Hi. Um, thank you for sharing your experience tonight. It's, um, it's really amazing to hear about all of your how flexible have you had to be as writers and directors when you've got producers and investors on board with your vision? Because I'm kind of going through this at the moment. 
you know, how how hard does it have to be to let stuff go? Because, or have you been in a position where you don't have the power anymore? There's directors and writers, you know, how is that? What experience have you had with that? For me, I was lucky, uh, again, on, on, uh, on having um, the, the autonomy and creative control around making Lucid. I was trusted by um, my exec and uh, people behind the film to have final say and final cut and make decisions on how I wanted to make the movie. But having said that, I think it's still important to be flexible with your collaborators and your fellow artists, be it your, your DP or your editor, and edit your composer or your sound designer, because you know, sometimes you'll just have it in your head, like this is the way it is. And sometimes like you may hear someone else's idea and think, no, 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 that's not what I'm trying to do here. But then upon reflection, maybe you just like let it breathe. You go, actually, that's a better idea. And then they're right. And you've got to listen. And it's important to be challenged by the people around you, even if it's not like the money people at the top saying, do it this way. Like your fellow artists, you've got to listen to them because you may think your way is right. And I thought that in the edit, there was a few times where I was challenged by my editor and I was like, no, 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 this is my film. You know, I've been working this for five years. I know what I'm doing. But then looking back, I'm like, damn, he was right. And I listened, and thank God I listened to him because it came, the, the film was a better film because of that, you know? So it's important to be flexible, I think, um, with everyone around you. And then, look, if you're the director, you take credit for it at the end of the day anyway. On the investor side, it, it's tricky because each investor, and you'll know this, each investor has a different uh, opinion. You know, you, you deal with some older investors who just want to see papers and numbers you deal with you deal with a mix of investors that handle that and also want to see and feel and touch a little bit of the creativity um, and then you get some investors where you know they'll put money but they want to they do want to say in the creativity and I, I remember you know we were sat in, in the edit of winter ridge and one of our investors was sat just at the back and i looked across and said hey M mike what do you think of this and that that moment of including him for that for that short little time gave him a bit. Oh, I went there, and he actually came up with a really good idea. Mm. Like you know, remember the, they're also the audience. Mm. So you know, when you step outside and say to someone, oh, "What do you think?" It doesn't matter who they are. You know, they're able to see things that might be good or not good that you can't see because you're so close to it. So you know a little bit of ego like adam said where sometimes you just go you know i think robert danny jr said this you know smile say yes and then do what the hell you want yeah. um so you know you can always do that as, as a director i would say it's really important to listen to everyone because everyone has an opinion and it's extremely important to uh listen to what everyone in the crew or cast has to say they can bring in an id however at the end of the day it's you who makes the decision so it's important also to like really not compromise with what's essential to your vision. Yeah, and uh, yeah, don't get walked over. I think sometimes, sometimes mm. if it's not the film isn't been made yet, and you haven't got any money yet. Maybe sometimes it's time to walk away as well. There is that option. It's your vision. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying listen to everyone's opinion, and you've got to work out what's right for you. Great question. Though. Last question. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for all your stories. It's been really interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure I was paying attention the whole time. But I didn't hear anybody mention crowdfunding. And a few years ago, that's all anybody talked about, but it was like, how to make your film. 
Oh, there's, there's many reasons that you can crowdfund. I'm, I'm, I'm about to do one in a bit for another project just to get some money for it. It's, it's really hard. I mean, you'll only raise a certain amount. We, there's another feature film I made last year. We did it pretty much all through crowdfunding. It can be done. You can do it. It's just I think it's an option. It's, there's all different options. I don't know how anyone else I, feels, but it's a good option. I would have thought a panel of five or six people that well, at least one of you would have found it through crowdfunding. It's really interesting. We, we did do a bit of crowdfunding for us. It, it can work, and, and I would definitely advise doing it if you're doing a, a, a first short or, 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 a, or a film that has, a, has a, a message behind it. The ones that are doing really successful and making it are the ones that... You know, they're, they're about um, the bigger meaning behind it and, and the audience being reached is going to be important. Um, but, you know, we, we sat down. I've done three. And I'd never do another one again um, because you sit down for two months and you sit there and go, God, I, could. I remember, and I kid you not, an investor, um, he heard me on the phone for about five minutes trying to encourage someone to put money in. And he said, how much are you after? And I was like, a thousand. He was like, I'll give you two. Because what I just heard you like beg pretty much on the phone that was just horrible and I said we've been doing that for, we've been doing that for months we've been doing it for months so it's it's incredibly hard it is hard on the really other side hard. of that though we did <laughs> good luck Giles no we did well we, su- <laughs> we no sorry no we, we successfully raised uh, 27 grand and we made a, we got a bit more on top of that and made a feature and so it can happen it's, it's all raising money at the end of the day, isn't it? It's all the same, really. Whether you you know you start a Facebook group or a go a Kickstarter or whatever, it's you know it's all raising money at the end of the day. You do whatever you can to make your film, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, it doesn't really if matter how you do it. However the fuck it is, if it's begging some investor on a boat, that, that, well, I think, I th- yeah, I think I think always going to be better though to be in a room with someone where you can actually 100%. feel their energy and their presence and then you can actually pitch in person. It's always the best way. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, whether it's a Kickstarter or it's soft money grants or private equity, it's, it's the same as like, oh, what camera did you shoot on? It's the most bullshit question I get asked about Lucid. Yeah, it really doesn't, doesn't matter. fucking matter what camera. It really doesn't it's matter. It's like, you know, it's... You can shoot on an iPhone if you want. Um, and if that's your unique selling point, great. It's useful for you. Great. But it doesn't really matter. We don't care. We'll watch a film if it's good, if the story's good. And that's what's really important to work Story's on. everything. Story. Okay, great. Um, we're going to have to wrap up because we want you guys to have a little chat. I don't know if there's beers left. Um, so thank you all very much for coming down. Thank you. Our, our next event is on March the 5th. We're doing another one of these. Our guests will be announced soon. So let's give it up for our fantastic panel. Jenna! Let's give it up for Adam! Matt Hookings! Let's give a massive round of applause for Finn. Dom Lamar! And Charles Alderson. Thank you very much. Thank you all for coming down. Thank you.